The Ford F-150 truck drives smart design forward. The standard 12-inch productivity screen helps you get what you need done too. And the available pro-access tailgate improves access to bed and cargo and utilization of the bed, including when towing a trailer. Together with a wider bumper step, it's easier to access the bed and load in tight spaces. And available Pro Power Onboard serves as a mobile power source, providing up to 7.2 kilowatts of power to charge a bed full of electric dirt bikes or run an entire job site worth of tools. I'm still driving my 2016 F-150 truck and 90,000 miles in. As long as I keep it clean, it honestly still looks brand new. I've taken it down snow-covered forest service roads, taken it out camping, put a ton of miles on it on the freeway, had five adults in the cabin for long trips, and it's been great everywhere. Super dependable. I still love the way it looks, nice and rugged design, but with a super comfortable interior. And I'm still very happy with the quality sound system and heated seats. And since I bought my 2016 F-150 truck, the list of standard amenities that make a truck feel like a luxury vehicle have only grown. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Find your local Ford dealer at Ford.com. Pro access tailgate available starting spring 2024. See owner's manual for important operating instructions. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. On February 1st, 2013, 21-year-old Canadian college student Elisa Lamb vanishes while staying at the Cecil Hotel in downtown Los Angeles, California. In an attempt to locate her, the LAPD releases the last known footage of Elisa, security camera footage taken from the hotel's elevator. Elisa's behavior in this footage is strange to say the least. And because of how strange it is, the clip makes its way online, goes viral, and has been viewed almost 20 times as of today. I've watched it numerous times myself the last couple of days, and Elisa's behavior in light of what happened to her within hours of the footage is a little chilling. Two weeks after her disappearance, Elisa still hasn't been found, and now Hotel Cecil guests are complaining about low water pressure and brown water seeping out of their taps. And then on the morning of February 19th, two and a half weeks after disappearing, Elisa's body is discovered by Cecil Hotel employee Santiago Lopez when he decides to check the hotel's water tanks to solve the recent water-related problems. And he does solve the problem. He finds out what's plugging the pipes and tainting the water supply, Elisa's nude, decomposing body floating in a rooftop water tank. Several months later, the coroner rules the cause of death as accidental drowning. But was it an accident? How did she get on the roof in the first place? It wasn't easy. Why would she climb into an enclosed rooftop water tank? Why was she naked? Why is she the subject of today's episode at all? The internet offers a lot of theories about her death, and all of them are explored on a real-life murder mystery today on Time Suck. You're listening to Time Suck. Happy Monday, Time Suckers. Hope you enjoyed sucking that sweet Ronald over the weekend. That syrupy Elron. Hope you enjoyed that exotic Scientology teat hitting your lips. 
Thanks for all the emails, iTunes reviews, subscriptions. Thanks for buying those sweet 300% baby raccoon shirts from the store on timesuckpodcast.com. Thanks for all the Amazon purchases using the using the Amazon button on the website, the PayPal donations, topic suggestions. Sorry again, I haven't gotten back to anyone. Uh, I've gotten back to, to no one uh, the last like week and a half. Just been crazy busy, and I will sit down and reply to everyone uh, very soon, the moment I have time to do so. So thanks for being patient with me on that. Uh, I have a murder mystery to get into today, a topic suggested by Isabella R. on the Time Suck comment board and Austin Jones via Time Suck email, who also encouraged me to research the hotel she died in, uh, the Cecil, and I, and I did, and it was worth it. Uh, and my son, Kyler, uh, Kyler Cummins, actually picked this topic as well. He, did, he didn't know about it beforehand, but I let him uh, listen to uh, you know uh, s- some select Time Suck episodes, him and his sister Monroe as, as well. Uh, not all of them, but some. You know, they're only 11 and 9, but they're well aware of Dad's uh, terrible sense of humor already. So, so why try and hide it? Why not give him a little honest view of some, some subjects a little early in life? And, uh, and Kyler wanted to know what I was doing for uh, Monday's episode for today. I, and I told him I was having a hard time deciding. So he wanted to help me out. He wanted to check out the topic list. So I let him look it over. And for some reason, the topic of the mysterious death of Elisa Lamb stuck out to him. So I thought, why not? Uh, however, he might be a little pissed now because I'm, I'm not sure I'm going to let him listen to the show he asked for. Gets, uh, he gets scared a little easy still, and, uh, and I think this one might be a, a, a nightmare maker. There's some, there's some creepy shit that gets discussed today. So, you know, if you're, watching, if you're listening to this uh, episode alone uh, in the dark, I, wanna, uh, I don't know, turn the little nightlight on, you know? I'm going to cozy up under the covers, pull them up just a little tighter, a little, a little closer up uh, to your chin. But first, uh, um, before we talk about how scary everything's going to be, let's get into some time sucker updates. Updates. Get your time sucker updates. Learned a little bit about how to read, write, and speaker gooder thanks to some time suckers this week. Pretty soon, I'm going to be the gooderest, most knowledgeablest, mostest, goodest speaker that ever was. I'm going to share two emails that are helping me get there today. Uh, the first is from Evan. Uh, the subject is You're Killing Me, Cummins. Messages. First off, I mean the subject in two ways. You're killing me in the good sense because I'm enjoying the shit out of Time Suck, and I thank you for that. Oh, I appreciate that. I've been a fan of your comedy for years and was glad to see this podcast. I was apprehensive, but all it took was one episode, and I was in. Now to get to the bad sense, which you're killing me, Cummins. You seem to enjoy dropping the et-ceteras. However, you, like way too many goddamn people in this world, pronounce it etc. like E-C-K, etc. and it's fucking killing me. Anyway, keep up the good work. I love listening to Time Suck while I work my autopilot, no brain required goddamn job. Thanks. Ah, I love the way that these uh, emails are written, man. The best fucking fans. Uh, yeah, you know what? I, I definitely get a little sloppy with my pronunciation, for sure, on, on a lot of stuff. On a lot of stuff. I have to focus so hard. It's something in my head about like not wanting to sound pretentious, I think, is a lot of it. Growing up in a small town, not wanting to sound all city slick and smart or something. I don't know, but etc. You're right. I do say etc. Now that you point that out, it's et cetera. Et a t e t e t. Phone home, not e c k. Okay, et cetera. I'm gonna work on that. Et cetera. Uh, second email today comes from uh, Thomas Cavanaugh. Subject is basic grammar number slash amount. Now this one uh, wasn't just a mistake. I truly didn't didn't know this, uh, so I appreciate this. Uh, dear Dan, uh, bro, huge fan. I'm going to attempt myself, I'm going to exempt myself, excuse me, from any grammatical errors to avoid any ironic faux pas. <laughs> With that said, I celebrated my 21st birthday last night. Ah, young man, and I'm severely intoxicated. 
Uh, actually, I love that the one th- mistake he made is uh, it's he put, <laughs> he put intoxicated like I am, which was perfect and spelled severely wrong. Spelled it severally, uh, which again that that might have even been intentional. If it was uh, Tom, uh, bravo, because that, that whole, everything else is perfect in this email. And then when you talk about being drunk, it's like your brain's like, yep, let's fuck these words up because we are drunk. Okay, anyway, nonetheless, uh, what happened uh, to come to mind, I guess this is evidence of how much of a fan I am, was the fact that I've been meaning to shoot you an email regarding some grammar. Dude, when talking about num- uh, things that are discrete quantities, a.k.a. are countable, <laughs> I do love that you have to like dumb down for me discrete quantities, which, uh, yeah, I would have known what you meant by that. So I, I needed that. I needed that dummy down, truly. Uh, use the word number. Uh, when you talk about things that are continuous or uncountable, use the word amount. For example, number of Illuminati space lizards, but amount of water Houdini jumped into. I didn't, fuck, I didn't fucking know that. I appreciate that, Tom. I appreciate that, Tom Cavanaugh. Uh, okay, all right. So it's like, the, it's, certainly like, it's like an amount of water. Like a, there's a lar- He jumped into a large amount of water, not into a large number of water. <laughs> Hopefully I wasn't saying that, but I, uh, yeah, I bet I, I do make that mistake because I didn't know that was even a mistake to be made. And then Tom finishes, I know I suck, but in a good way, Tom, but I'm pretty sure that would help you moving forward. Dude, keep sucking shithead. <laughs> Sincerely, Tom Cavanaugh, fellow liberal arts major, haha. Again, I love the, uh, I love the key, adding the keep sucking shithead. I don't know why that stuff makes you laugh so hard, but it always does. Maybe it's because, uh, that's the way I talk to my, my family. So we throw a lot of uh, curse words around at each other. We are amused by it. And, you know, it's funny. I used to get annoyed by so-called uh, grammar police. But as I get older and read various YouTube comments, for example, uh, I realize how important it is to have a firm grasp of how to both write and speak, you know, your language, your native language appropriately. You know, because I feel like without it, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just, like a lot of people, devolve into this state of idi- idiocracy uh, with a language based entirely on slang. Saying stuff like, go away, baiting, you know. I don't want to contribute to society where doctors say stuff like, well, don't want to sound like a dick or nothing, but your chart says you fucked up, which is another idiocracy quote. Uh, so, I, so I appreciate it as I get older. I appreciate being called out on it because when no one gets called out, then, then we all end up uh, just getting fucking dumberer and dumbererist and dumbererist. Uh, no, but we already have YouTube comments like, uh, did he died? Did he died? I was on some website for dumb YouTube comments. Did he died already? Uh, and the best one I came across, some guy expressing his admiration for gold. Quote, hi there. In ma opinion, ma, not my, gold is supposedly, not supposedly, supposedly, in historically, the letter N instead of the word and, not even an ampersand, just N, the shiniest metal ever, either in terms of what it's worth, no apostrophe, even though in this case it's being used as the contracted form of it is, or its historical presence as, as the shiniest Durin, not Durin, Durin, all eras. Eras being capitalized for some reason. Maybe eras actually is capitalized. But with all respect, it's, no apostrophe again, ma, again with the ma, humble opinion. With no one ever, oh my God, ma, humble opinion. With no one ever correct me, I could easily be that guy in a few years. Uh, maybe not quite that bad, but close. I do love that he's really into how shiny gold is. Like, not, into how, not, not about how rare to me, I mean, I'm sure being shiny helps, gold being valuable, for sure. But also, it's rare, you know? Like, if fucking gold was as common as just gravel, 
uh, you know, if gold was just basic kind of sedimentary rock or something, I, it wouldn't be, wouldn't have the value. It's gotta, it's gotta be rare too, but I love that for him, it's all about the shine, man. It's fucking, it's the shiniest. It's the shiniest. It's historically the shiniest. It's, <laughs> it's the shiniest during all eras. You know what I mean? It's like super shiny. And, uh, you know, supposedly, supposedly and supposedly and historically shiniest. Well, thanks for educating me as I educate myself and uh, you all with what I find. I love the team effort. Love all the learning we're having fun with. Making knowledge funnest again. Thanks, time suckers. I needed that. We all did. Okay, so Lisa Lamb. Who, who was she? Who was, this, who was this person we're talking about today? In January of 2013, Elisa Lam, a 21-year-old Canadian student at the University of British Columbia in Vancouver, the daughter of immigrants from Hong Kong who ran a restaurant in Vancouver, a beautiful, picturesque metropolis surrounded by scenic pine forest mountains, planted on the Pacific, uh, probably the most gorgeous city I- I've been in in North America, like r- truly. Uh, she embarked on a solo trip around the west coast of the United States. Her intention was to visit San Diego, then work her way up through Los Angeles, Santa Cruz, and finally San Francisco. She traveled alone, using trains and buses to creep from one destination to the next. And all in all, it seemed like a rather exciting adventure. During the first leg of what she called her West Coast tour, Lamb regularly contacted friends and family. She checked in with her parents daily. She posted photos online of herself in various locations, such as at the San Diego Zoo. And then she finally arrived in Los Angeles on January 26 and checked in to the Cecil Hotel downtown. Now, there's not a lot of information online about who Elisa was. Like, you know, I, I, I couldn't even find, like, what, what did she study uh, in college? Guessing her family isn't interested in letting millions of people online who are obsessed with her death know any more about her. And, and why should they? I don't blame them. I mean, uh, she wasn't, uh, and she wasn't like a celebrity or a known person at all. Uh, the only thing that became sadly known about her was her, her death and disappearance. And so there's, yeah, there's, there's not a lot of info available. Uh, her Facebook account appears to have been deactivated. Um, but you can still access her blog, uh, which is Esther, uh, Esther Fields, like E-T-H-E-R, or Ether, sorry, Ether Fields. I thought it was Esther for a second. Etherfields.blogspot.com, her Tumblr. Uh, oh, my gosh, Nouvelle, Nouveau, Tumblr.com. Uh, if you just if you just Google, I'll put these I'll put these links on the website at timesuckpodcast.com. But if you just Google Elisa Lamb Tumblr or Elisa Lamb blog, and it's L A M, uh, Elisa Lamb Twitter, it's at L A M B E T E S. Uh, that stuff's still up there. And on Twitter, uh, you know, she, you can tell she's funny. She's smart. She has tweets like on January tenth, two thousand thirteen. She tweets uh, anyone who doesn't work in something history related, aka museum, and uses the word curate to describe their work is delusional. Hashtag bloggers. That's funny, man. She's smart and funny. January fourteenth, two thousand thirteen. As I get older, uh, parentheses and have more disposable income, I dress more like a little English schoolboy. December 24th, 2012. Sometimes I forget that people are stupid and then someone opens their mouth. All right, I, I, I relate to that one. You know, I, a lot of stupid shit comes out of my mouth. I'm finding out on this podcast. But I also relate to, uh, the, the, yeah, the, I, I'm annoyed by other people. So she seems, I don't know, she just seems cool. She retweets uh, info about Jack White, Nietzsche, new films, fashion design. Uh, she follows the Twitter accounts of companies like uh, Out of Print Tees, a literal, uh, or sorry, a literary apparel company that donates a book for every product sold to a community in need. She follows Lost in E Minor, an online publication of inspiring art, photography, music, and more. 
She follows uh, Sadie Magazine, an alternative independent magazine for young women. She follows The Onion, Craig Ferguson Show. Uh, she's a film buff following the Criterion Collection, a company dedicated to gathering a uh, p- uh, publishing the world's greatest films. Gathering and publishing, excuse me. She follows Brian Cranston, Rashida Jones, tons of other actors and actresses. You know, reading her Twitter, she seems to me, for lack of a better word, to be fucking cool. You know, the kind of girl I would have been very drawn to myself, honestly, at 21. She's adventurous. She's intelligent, artistic, sarcastic, funny. She's beautiful. She's not the person that's supposed to end up naked and dead in a downtown hotel rooftop water tank. Now, you read her blog and Tumblr, and you like her more. At least I do. She uses a quote from Chuck Palahniuk, uh, one of my favorite authors, as a header uh, on each. The quote is, You've al- you're always haunted by the idea you're wasting your life. You're always haunted by the idea you're wasting your life. And Chuck, uh, she's clearly introspective. You know, she doesn't just live on the surface. Chuck, if you don't know, by the way, is the darkly comedic author of uh, Fight Club, Choke, Invisible Monsters, uh, amongst many other cool books. Uh, another dark, brooding creature of the Pacific nor- Northwest is Chuck, based in Oregon. Uh, her Tumblr blog contains tons of pictures of uh, high fashion, quotes from authors like Virginia Woolf, such as, quote, Why, she reflected, should there be this perpetual disparity between thought and action, between the life of solitude and the life of society, this astonishing precipice, on one side of which the soul was active and in broad daylight, on the other side of which it was contemplative and dark as night. All right, man. She seems she seems old for her years, you know? She seems dark and contemplative, you know, sometimes. There's pictures uh, that suggest a romantic soul. One with the quote, He could not have known then that one day, seven months later, he would meet for the first time the woman asleep behind the window below which he passed and that she would change his life. Another quote is, I would kiss you in the middle of a lightning storm. I would kiss you knowing it would kill me because I'd rather be left for dead than left to wonder what thunder sounds like. All right, all right, there's some fire. There's some fire in Elisa, you know? Uh, there's art. There's quotes from The Princess Bride, one of my favorite movies. Uh, my name is Emilio Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. A movie I now know is directed by Rob Reiner, thanks to you time suckers, and another update a while back. There's also quotes that suggest someone prone to dark thoughts, uh, someone prone to depression, one being, quote, I don't think people love me. They love versions of me I have spun for them, the easy parts of me to love. Who's going to love the girl that can't stop crying? The girl that hurts herself? The girl that is losing control? The girl that is so sad she can't get out of bed? The girl that keeps pushing everyone away? Who's going to love the monster in me? Who's going to love me now? And then for further emphasis, she highlights they love versions of me. Clearly, uh, that little refrain resonates with Elisa. And then her last blog post... Uh, before she moved over to Tumblr on April 22, 2012, is titled Worries of a 20-something, and it just simply states, I spent about two days in bed hating myself. That's, that's pretty intense. That's pretty intense. You know, I was a, I was a moody uh, young person. Uh, <laughs> I'm just a moody, a little bit older person now. But uh, I, never, I never spent a couple days in bed hating myself. Okay, so why is she traveling alone? You know, that's uh, while I, I, you know, I couldn't find out what this artistic soul was studying in college, but I, I did find out she'd recently either dropped out or at least taken a leave of absence. She wasn't signed up for future classes. Why, why would she do that? Yeah, and then why would she head out just alone? Did she recently go through a tough breakup? Uh, did she want to do a little soul searching? Was she unhappy and in need of a big change? And why the emphasis on versions of me? You know, was she leading some sort of secret life her friends and family were, were unaware of? Or did she at least think they just... They didn't get who she really was, which I guess is a, is a common 
uh, you know, problems just human beings in general face, but it seems a little more important to her than most. You know, and, and, I, and thinking about her, her kind of trip uh, reminds me of a trip I took at her age, my junior year of college. I had tons of friends, good friends at Gonzaga. Uh, Gonzaga, by the way, good luck in tonight's NCAA Men's uh, Basketball March Madness Championship game against UNC. Go Zags, man. First time in the Final Four, first time in the championship. But anyway, uh, it would have been easy to enjoy my junior year at school, just go back to you know my kind of comfort zone, the comfort zone I've just recently established, go back to the same parties, have a blast. But I, but I just felt like another change would do me good. And I, and I signed up for a semester abroad in London. Uh, it wasn't a popular study abroad program. Only one other kid from Gonzaga even went. And it was a kid I didn't even know at the time. Uh, I'd be staying with a host family, not in some dorm or apartment with a bunch of other people my age to at least commiserate with. I'd be thousands of miles away from any family. Uh, but, I, but I wanted to do it because it felt like a good place to really kind of reflect about what I wanted in life. You know, at that age, you're trying to figure out what am I going to do with the rest of my life. And it felt like a, a, a good place to kind of try and figure that out. And then when I was there, we had a 10-day break in the middle of the uh, semester. And most of my classmates uh, went off in some group. Uh, most, you know, with, uh, some couple of kids from the, the program and, and traveled somewhere. Actually, actually all my other classmates did that, but I decided to trek out, uh, totally alone. Just me and a hiking backpack bouncing through France and Italy and Switzerland on a train pass. Half the time I, I wasn't around a single, uh, other person who spoke English. Uh, it was, it was, it was interesting, interesting, uh, feeling to be around, you know, uh, so many other human beings, but to be so alone. You know, I was almost stranded once in Rome with just a couple hundred bucks to my name. Uh, it was both terrifying and, and exhilarating, very exciting. And, and I'm so glad I did it. I learned a lot about myself. I learned, I, you know, I could get by on my own if I had to. But I did that as a six-foot-one dude, uh, a dude with a goatee and a shaved head at the time. You know, I, I wasn't that afraid of bad guys because I, I looked like a bad guy. Uh, you know, I, I looked a little dark and sinister. I can't imagine doing that as a five-foot-five-inch, 121-pound woman uh, like a like Elisa, it's it seems more reckless, and I hope everyone stands how that isn't some chauvinistic thought. It really isn't. I, I actually am a feminist. Women are absolutely intellectually equal to uh, to men. However, I'm also a realist, and women are significantly physically smaller, weaker, more vulnerable, able to be overpowered far more easily. You know, and if that wasn't true, if anybody listening is like, no, come on, uh, no, shut the fuck up. All right, there wouldn't be gender division within sports. Be realistic. Men and women uh, could just compete in everything together. Let's get rid of the WNBA, and let's just have women play in the NBA if, it's, if they're physically equal. Get the fuck out of here. You know, I've gotten into many arguments with women <laughs> over this line of thought, and I just find it hysterical to me that anyone thinks otherwise. Like, you know, like, like I, here's an example. I live, I've, I lived weights. I've lived weights casually for over 20 years. I have seen over the years numerous men in the gym, and gyms that I go to tend to be fairly even, men and women, Numerous men, uh, so I have, a, I have a strong sample group here. Numerous men, men bench over 350 pounds. I have never, not one time, not a single time, witnessed a, a single woman bench over 150 pounds ever, ever, ever. Uh, I have seen a woman in a powerlifting uh, compression T-shirt online uh, who looked like she had taken enough steroids to kill a small horse. Uh, Becca Swanson, sorry, Becca, if you're actually uh, not on roids. I, fuck, I, I just don't see it. Uh, bench 551 pounds uh, on YouTube, which is fucking incredible. And by the way, Becca would fuck me up. This lady, <laughs> this, is, this, is a big, this is a big lady. Uh, incredible. However, as incredible as that is, uh, the men's bench press record, 1,102 pounds by a human orangutan hybrid who goes by the name of Tiny Meeker. And the only tiny part of him, uh, I'm guessing, is his balls uh, shriveled by years of continuous uh, steroid cycling. 
Tiny could do more than kick my ass. He could, he could grab my legs and rip my ass in two like a, like a normal man ripping apart a, a turkey wishbone. His forearms look like a, like a powerful man's thighs. Uh, you know, he's one of those dudes, if I didn't see video of him, I would swear his just still, still photos were photoshopped. Unbelievable. But that's the difference. You know, 551 compared to uh, 1,102. Literally almost twice as strong. But no, actually, what am I talking about? That's fucking crazy. I'm, I'm so bad at math. Exactly twice as strong. <laughs> exactly, exactly twice as strong. So anyway, this small woman who does not look like a roid, riddled powerlifter, this college kid questioning her life, this intellectually curious, adventurous, beautiful young woman decides to check into the Cecil Hotel the last week of January in 2013. She's gotten away from the cloudy, rainy, you know, winter in Vancouver. She's enjoying sunny days in the mid-60s. She's staying downtown instead of Santa Monica or Venice Beach or Silver Lake. And she's staying at the Cecil. This just um, really, really uh, adds a huge level of intrigue to her story. Because that's a a very curious and specific choice of accommodations. This isn't some random Sheridan or Marriott or even some, like, normal, like, youth hostel. Uh, This isn't some budget Holiday Inn, some Motel 6. The Cecil Hotel is one of the most probably notorious hotels in America. It's the real-life inspiration for the Hotel Cortez, which is the setting for the fifth season of American Horror Story. Uh, you know, the, 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 the season about the horrible, murderous hotel. Uh, a series that premiered over two years after Elisa Lamb's disappearance. I actually just started watching it earlier tonight after uh, being reminded of it by this research. And it uh, looks pretty good. I feel like I might like it enough to be able to watch it despite the fact that Lady Gaga stars in it. I don't know why. Uh, I have a real irrational uh, dislike of her. I don't even know exactly what it is, but she just, uh, she just comes across like someone I would never want to spend time with. But anyway, I do, I do like some of her songs. I don't know. Why am I fucking talking about Lady Gaga? Uh, when I could be getting into some weird facts about the Cecil Hotel. Weird facts. All right, weird fact number one. The Cecil Hotel opens and almost immediately becomes a slum. The Cecil Hotel opens in 1924 as a 700-room upper-class hotel in what was considered at the time a swanky section of downtown Los Angeles. And during its you know, initial years, it enjoyed great success as a tourist destination, as a residence for middle-class Angelinos. However, uh, not very long after that, by the 1930s, early 1930s, this would rapidly change, and the Cecil became known as a budget hotel for the traveling salesmen and for uh, transients. The Cecil was the end of the road for many of Skid Row's residents and consequently uh, became the scene for a number of suicides, prompting some residents to call the hotel the suicide instead of the Cecil. Number two, let's talk about these suicides. The first of, uh, of many of them occurred in 1931 when a 46-year-old Manhattan Beach resident, W.K. Norton, intentionally overdosed on pills right after checking into the hotel. Several more suicides would follow. Uh, and then later, uh, after numerous suicides, in 1962, uh, an especially notable suicide happened. After arguing with her, extra- with her estranged husband, 27-year-old Pauline Otten jumped from her ninth-floor window before hitting the ground, she managed to land on 65-year-old George Gianni, who just happened to be walking by at the time. Both were killed instantly. Fuck. Man, that's, what a bummer for that dude. What a bummer to be. I mean, you know, you don't want to die. Uh, I guess you know, there's a variety of ways you don't want to die. But to die, fucking some idiot above just fucking kills themselves, and then their suicide kills you. 
And uh, as bad as I would feel for the family of Pauline in that case, always so needlessly tragic when someone takes her own life, I feel way worse for the family of George. Dude just walking down the street, mind his own business, he's 65. So, you know, odds are, statistically, he probably just retired. He just retired. He's going to enjoy his golden years. Let's pretend he has a, he has a decent pension even, you know. He's going he's gonna, to, maybe he's just fucking bought a boat. He's going to do some shit with his boat. He's thinking about his boat, and then this random lady fucking falls at him, just kills him. You know, or what? Or what if? What if he'd actually? What if he was out walking because he had just uh, had an argument with his own wife, and he, and, he, and he did the. You know, she's been telling him for years. You know that you know he shouldn't just fly off the handle when they get in a little argument. That he should just you know take a walk around the block, cool off, and come back and talk about it. And now he does it. And he goes walk around the block, and he's trying to cool off, and then he's killed uh, by the uh, side effect of an argument from another couple. Fucking the irony, man. And for years, his family has to have the weirdest conversation every time someone asks how his how he died. Wait, no, wait, now you're, you're, so your dad killed himself? No, 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 Pauline killed herself and, and killed my dad. Wait a minute, so she, some lady, she killed your dad and then she killed herself. No, 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 she killed herself and then she killed my dad. She killed my dad by killing herself. Wh- what? No, she threw herself out of a building and onto my dad. What did your dad do to her? No, nothing. My dad was trying to get away from my mom, and Pauline was trying to get away from her husband, and then they both got away from everyone forever. Uh, murders, number three on the weird fact. There are other murders as well, such as the uh, still unsolved murder of Goldie Osgood, known as the Pigeon Woman. Goldie was found in her room with a Cecil, robbed, raped, and strangled and stabbed. That's a lot of fucking R-words and S-words. She was robbed and raped, strangled and stabbed. On uh, June 4th, 1964, a retired telephone operator, she was known to spend her days at nearby Pershing Square where she fed the pigeons. Next to her body, they found a paper bag filled with bird seeds. Well, you know what? Sounds like maybe, sounds like a, a crime of rage uh, with Goldie. I'm guessing maybe she was killed by somebody who really fucking hated pigeons, like more than her. But then they saw her as the source of more pigeons. They saw her creating more of what they hated. And for that, apparently, she had to pay. Uh, there was the Black Dahlia, number four connection. Uh, 1947 Black Dahlia murder of Elizabeth Short is also connected with the Cecil. Rumors of the hotel being the last place that Elizabeth was seen alive. Uh, I believe some people have written in uh, asking about that as a time suck. Uh, it's going to have to happen one of these days, Black Dahlia murder. Uh, number five, serial killers. And, and, I'm, and you heard me right, plural. Serial killers have called the Cecil their home. Uh, the, the most notorious is the Night Stalker, and I can't remember if anyone's written in about him or not. I think so, though. Richard Ramirez, man. Holy shit, I've heard of the Night Stalker, but, uh, this guy, I thought, I thought reading about Bundy was bad, but I read a little bit about this son of a bitch. He's a fucking, the devil himself. Uh, from 1984 to 1985, uh, the people of Los Angeles lived in fear of an active serial killer known as the Night Stalker. The Night Stalker was sought in connection to several home invasion robberies slash homicides occurring throughout the L.A. area, as well as a few in San Francisco. It wasn't until his capture in 1985 that the world learned the killer's name, Richard Ramirez. During his killing spree, R- Ramirez took residence at the Cecil. When night fell, Ramirez would exit the hotel in search of victims, and then he would return to the hotel You know, later that night, covered in victims' blood, He'd then go around back to an alley uh, where he would shed his clothing, toss him in a dumpster, and then return to his room in his underwear. That's how fucked up this hotel was uh, at this time. It wasn't even unusual for just some dude to return to his room half naked and bloody. Uh, none of the residents or staff ever reported anything odd about this. And Ramirez is a monster, yeah, truly worthy of his own time suck for sure. 
Uh, and I'm not going to go into all his details now because, again, it would be an hour of Richard Ramirez stuff. But I do want to give a little info into how fucking evil this Cecil Hotel resident was. You know, during those two years that he was active, Ramirez burglarized homes all over L.A., raped and tortured over 25 women and killed at least 14 people. And here's a couple examples of how terrifying this motherfucker was. On the night of May 29, 1985, Ramirez drove a stolen Mercedes-Benz to Monrovia, stopped at the house of Mabel Ma Bell, 83, and her sister, Florence Nettie Lang. Nettie Lang and Ma Bell. Nettie Lang's 81. Oh, my God. Just these two little old ladies I'm picturing out in uh, Monrovia, which is a sleepy little suburb. God damn it. Finding a hammer in the kitchen, he bludgeoned and bound the invalid laying in her bedroom, then bound and bludgeoned Belle before using an electrical cord to electrically shock her. Then he rapes Lang. Then he uses uh, Ma Belle's lipstick, uh, lipstick to draw a pentagram on her thigh as well uh, as one on the wall of both bedrooms. Discovered two days later, both women were found alive but comatose, Bell later died of her injuries. The next day, he drives the same car to Burbank, sneaks into the home of Carol Kyle, 42. At gunpoint, he bound Kyle and her 11-year-old son with handcuffs, ransacks the house, then releases Kyle to direct him to where the family's valuables are, and then after releasing the son, sodomizes the mom repeatedly. I'm sure the fucking kid you know, heard it if didn't, he didn't actually see it himself. Uh, repeatedly ordered her not to look at him, telling her at one point he would cut her eyes out. Fled the scene after retrieving the child from the closet. Okay, I guess he at least fucking left the boy in the closet. Jesus Christ. Uh, and then he binds the two together again with handcuffs. Dude terrified L.A. And they're still uncovering more crimes he committed. Uh, by the way, in 2009, a DNA sample connected him with the April 10, 1984, rape and murder of a nine-year-old girl in San Francisco. That motherfucker. Oh, Jesus Christ. Uh, he fascinated the nation uh, with, uh, during this trial with not only his crimes, but his open uh, worship of Satan, shouting, Hail Satan, during his trial, drawing a pentagram on his palm. He identified as a Satanist and had uh, even taken a trip to San Francisco in 1983 to personally meet Anton LaVey, founder of the Church of Satan in San Francisco. Uh, he learned various satanic rituals and undoubtedly performed, uh, performed many of those, probably often at the Hotel Cecil. Now, I don't believe in Satan personally, uh, but uh, that is some seriously creepy shit, and I wouldn't love doing it, uh, him doing it at the hotel he's going to stay at. As much as I don't believe in hauntings and demons on a rational, logical level, they scare the fuck out of me still on some emotional level, and I would never choose to stay in a hotel where all that weird shit went down. Now, quick note on Satanism. Uh, I think uh, there's a lot of misconceptions about Satanism. I know I've had a lot of uh, misconceptions. I've had it pointed out randomly, actually, uh, when I've done jokes, talking shit about you know Satanists, and people are like, well, actually, what they believe is... Uh, well, here's how it's defined at thechurchofsatan.com, the church based on LeVay's teaching. This is from their website. Founded on April 30, 1966 by Anton LeVay, we are the first above-ground organization in history openly dedicated to the acceptance of man's true nature, that of a carnal beast living in a cosmos that is indifferent to our existence. To us, Satan is the symbol that best suits the nature of of we who are carnal by birth, people who feel no battles raging between our thoughts and feelings, we do not embrace the concept of a soul imprisoned in a body. He represents pride, liberty, and individualism, qualities often defined as evil by those who worship external deities who feel there is a war between their minds and emotions. As Anton LaVey explained in his classic work, The Satanic Bible, Man, using his brain, invented all the gods, doing so because many of our species cannot accept or control their personal egos feeling compelled to conjure up one or a multiplicity of characters who can act without hindrance or guilt upon whims and desires. All, all gods are thus externalized forms, 
magnified projections of the true nature of their creators, personifying aspects of the universe or personal temperaments which many of their followers find to be troubling. Worshipping any god is thus worshipping by proxy those who invented that god. Since the Satanist understands that all gods are fiction, instead of bending on a knee in worship to or seeking friendship or unity with such mythical entities, he places himself at the center of his own subjective universe as his own highest value. We Satanists are thus our own, quote, gods. And as beneficent deities, we can offer love to those who deserve it and deliver our wrath within reasonable limits upon those who seek to cause us or that which we cherish harm. Huh. Ah, well, apparently, uh, I may be a Satanist. I don't know. A lot of this shit actually resonates with me. Uh, and apparently, Ramirez ignored uh, the within reasonable limits part of the Satanic philosophy on wrath. Or, you know, maybe the old church Satan should uh, modify their scripture a little bit, you know? Maybe reasonable limits is a little too subjective. Uh, sodomizing moms and bludgeoning and raping disabled 80-year-old women might have been uh, totally reasonable acts for that soulless fuck Ramirez. All right, so he's one of the Cecil guests, all right? Lived there for a couple years, putting his evil into the walls. Uh, and then we also have serial killer Jack uh, Unterweger. Uh, and, and Jack, uh, he's Austrian serial killer, Johan. It's his real name, Johan Unterweger. And he made the Cecil his home base while killing uh, L.A. prostitutes in 1991 before being caught in 1992 and then killing himself in prison. Uh, during Unterweger's time in Los Angeles, three prostitutes, Shannon Exley, Irene Rodriguez, and Sherry Ann Long, were beaten, sexually assaulted with tree branches, Jesus, and strangled with their own bras. Uh, Michael Fassbender is in talks to play Jack in Entering Hades, a movie based on John Leake's true crime novel about jo uh, Jack Unterweger, who was, uh, strangely, a celebrated Austrian journalist and best-selling author who led a double life investigating murders by day and killing by night. Killed 11 people across multiple continents. Yeah, there's a whole time suck about that as well. Because actually how he became a journalist, uh, just getting sucked into him for a little bit, he, um, he killed somebody who was like 18, a prostitute, strangled her with a bra, then was sentenced to life in prison, and then while he was in there, became like a playwright and kind of uh, artist of, of some note over in Austria. Uh, got a bunch of the, kind of the artistic community on his side that he was, he was you know, rehabilitated, he was a model prisoner, why should his life be wasted, he made one bad mistake, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and, they, and they end up after his minimum 15 years of his life sentence letting him out. And then he becomes kind of, yeah, like this, this journalist, you know, uh, about, you know, criminals and about, you know, how this kind of model of how people can be rehabilitated and then starts investigating crime himself while also almost immediately going back to killing prostitutes. You know, I, I, so I, that's why I think like, man, when you, when you do certain crimes, you just, you're fucking done. You know, you you strangle some prostitute with a with the bra. You don't get rehabilitated. You get you, you do get rehabilitated. You get a, a, a you have a bullet uh, rehabilitate your frontal cortex. That's what I think. Okay, so uh, number six, we're still in the weird facts. The Cecil in 2013. Uh, while the Cecil has since changed its name to Stay on Main uh, and closed for renovations after being sold to New York real estate developer Richard Bourne for 30 million who has designs on making the 600-room Cecil a more upscale joint catering to young professionals, the 2013 Cecil, at least a lamb stayed out, was still scary as fuck. Uh, a 2013 Curved LA article said the longtime residents still called the Cecil home for about $470 a month, which is, like, beyond cheap in LA. Like, if you're reading that in, uh, I don't know, like uh, Peoria or, or, you know, some uh, suburb outside of, of Jacksonville, Florida, where you're like four suburbs deep. You might be like, well, you know, whatever, 470 a month for one bedroom, that's reasonable, that's normal. 
not for LA, <laughs> not for LA in 2013. Um, uh, a steal of a deal for like a, like a two bedroom, two bath in 2013. Now it would be like, uh, you know, a thousand or 1200, 470 a month is like for the people who are just like, that's their, this is the last step before homelessness. I'm not even fucking kidding. Um, uh, tourists uh, who liken the place to like kind of European hostels. Uh, they were paying forty or fifty dollars a night for a room that may have not even had its own bathroom. They may have to share it with other residents. The LA Times built it as the place where quote the hip and the nearly homeless meet, uh, and it's located just a few blocks from the infamous uh, downtrodden Skid Row area of Los Angeles. Which is uh, I hadn't seen Skid Row the first couple of years I lived in LA, and then I finally went and checked it out, and it blew my fucking mind. It's, it's a third world within a first world. It is a third world like tent city of junkies. Uh, you know, untreated, blatant mental illness, open, you know, drug use, hard drug use out on this fucking street, <laughs> uh, violent offenders, you know, it's, it's a really good place to meet some really bad people struggling with extreme poverty and a lot of other issues. And the Cecil uh, was the kind of place a level three sex offender would live, a sex offender like Alvin Taylor. The Cecil resident CNN interviewed about water problems occurring at the Cecil following the discovery of Elise's body in the water tank, the kind of guy who might, you know, Sexually offend again. Maybe uh, hide her fucking body in the water tank. Weird facts. All right, so that was a Cecil. That's where Elisa went. Uh, and, and did someone murder her there? I, th- I think it's certainly a possibility. But I don't think it's likely. Uh, the cause of death was listed as accidental drowning, and there were no signs of sexual assault. Uh, despite Alvin and a bunch of other creepy piles of shit uh, living at that fucking rat den. Uh, what I wonder is, is why would Elisa stay at the Cecil in the first place? Though, like I said earlier, like, like to me, it feels very intentional. You know, I'll get into exactly why I think that in a bit. But for now, let me just say that she, she must have known something about the hotel's dark past. You know, she was active on social media. I'm guessing she was good with Google. And these stories come in fast when you type in the name. Like if you're looking to stay at the Cecil, when you type in the Cecil, you know, uh, maybe one website regarding roommates, room rates comes up. And then there's for every nine articles about just fucking horde. That has happened there over the years. And uh, yeah, it's not a secret that it's a notorious place, very infamous, dark place. So why would a girl who days before had tweeted about having more disposable income now than she'd ever had, uh, a girl who, you know, is into keeping up with, you know, expensive fashion trends, why would she stay uh, at a $40 a night hotel blocks from arguably the worst neighborhood in all of LA, a city with a a fair share of, of horrible neighborhoods? Well... Whatever the reason, on January 31st, 2013, Elisa Lamb disappears. Her social media posts abruptly stop. Her daily correspondence with her parents inexplicably ceases. A search is organized. Her parents fly down from Vancouver to L.A. Uh, The disappearance is widely reported in the news, and yet no evidence is found, and no one is sure of what had become of her. Uh, The police had the entire hotel searched from top to bottom, including the roof. Dogs are used to go through the roof, and each floor, no trail of Lamb is picked up, which all adds to her mystery. It was as if uh, Elisa Lamb had just stepped off the face of the earth. The only clue anyone had to her uh, uh, disappearance initially was a very disturbing four-minute YouTube video uh, that went viral. This this security camera f- footage from the elevator video. And let me describe to you uh, this video as best I can without you actually watching it. Okay, so the video starts off. And again, this is just like a corner shot from an elevator. It's like... Uh, like if you if you walked into an elevator and looked up and to the right, that's that's where the camera angle is. That's where the camera is right there. So she walks in, entering wearing a red zippered hooded sweatshirt over a gray T-shirt, black shorts, and sandals. 
she's not wearing a bra, or, or at least a bra was not found in the water tank later, along with her body and other clothes. And the shorts, by the way, were a man's shorts. And one blogger uh, pointed out it, it sounds kind of like post-coital attire, right? Like something you, you'd wear back to your hotel after a hookup. Because this, this is a girl. This is, you know, a girl on an adventure, 21 years old, uh, and known for dressing very well. You know, is she wearing the shorts of a man she just slept with? And then could he be connected to her death? You know, maybe. Maybe. Uh, okay, but back to the video. She enters the uh, elevator normally. She's alone. Uh, she does almost immediately. And there's no one else in the elevator. Like, she's the only, the whole, the whole four minutes, you never see another human other than her. Uh, but she does uh, something almost immediately that's a, a very strange thing once she gets inside. She lights up not just one floor like, you know, you would normally do in an elevator. You just want to go to, you know what floor you're going to go to. You don't want to stop at every floor. But she lights up, like, uh, several buttons in what looks like a very deliberate sequence. She starts with uh, the top button on the left column, and then she just pushes uh, all these buttons on the way down in that column and then just backs up and waits for the door to shut. But for some reason, it doesn't. Uh, and then the real creepiness starts. She quickly pops out. She looks side to side, then pops back into the elevator. And you know, maybe she's just checking to see if someone has pushed the, uh, the hotel button outside, which, which would explain you know, why the doors didn't shut. So that part, you know, popping out would be normal. It's just her franticness, the way she does it. Her movements are not normal. They're a little odd. Uh, she goes back in the elevator, and then after a moment seems to hide near the buttons. So now she, like, she puts her kind of like uh, back up into the corner. So if you were looking inside the elevator coming down the hall, you wouldn't see her now. She's, she's, like, she's like hidden around the corner. Like if you walked in the elevator where she is, you'd have to break immediately to the left and then kind of hide yourself against that wall closest to the hallway. And then uh, now 50 seconds have passed since the door opened, and the doors still haven't started to close, which is, which is odd. Uh, she pops back out again, slowly, steps out, and then still facing away from the elevator after stepping out, she does this weird little side step, like this weird little shuffle to the side. And then she steps back into the elevator, uh, then forward again back into the hallway. Now, now over a minute has passed. The doors still haven't tried to close. So now she sidesteps out of view of the elevator camera, still facing forward, away from the still open doors, 90 seconds after the first uh, stepping uh, moment she stepped in the elevator, a now agitated Elisa steps back inside. And I'd be fucking agitated too. Something's fucking wrong with this elevator, you know? She goes back to the buttons. She pushes all the ones on the left-hand column again. And then she steps back out of the elevator and is now facing the open door. Two minutes have gone by. The doors still have not closed. Maybe one of the buttons she's pushing is keeping the door open. Uh, the video description doesn't say. And then things start to get super weird. Standing in the hall, uh, Elisa starts making very specific, repetitive, unnatural motions with her arms and hands. Honestly, she looks like she's a witch trying to cast a spell. These very, very strange motions, just not normal motions, not normal body posture, kind of hunched over in an, in an odd way. I don't know how else to say it. And then, and then she walks away, and then three minutes after she stepped in the elevator initially, the doors finally, finally close. 15 seconds later, they open again. 10 sec seconds after that, they close. 15 seconds later, they open again. 10 seconds later, they close, and then the video is over, and then she's never seen alive again. So a few weeks uh, after Lamb's uh, strange elevator antics and her disappearance, hotel residents begin to complain of low water pressure and strange-tasting discolored water. And then on February 19th, 2013, a worker, uh, a worker as I was sent, uh, mentioned earlier, Santiago, sent to check the hotel's water tanks, which lie suspended 10 feet over a heavily secured area with alarm systems in place. When one of the water tanks is opened, inside was found the waterlogged corpse of Elisa Lamb. 
found over two and a half weeks after she mysteriously disappeared. Uh, she was completely nude, covered in sand-like substance, which is never explained, with her clothes and belongings bobbing about in the murky water beside her. It was later determined that she had been floating about and decomposing in the fetid tank. Now, there are three main theories about her death. Like, how did she end up in that tank? Three main kind of groups of theories. Uh, the first one is that, you know, somebody killed her. You know, but who? Who killed her? Some on the web speculate a hotel employee. Because uh, they also speculate, like, they, the, the tape was edited. A lot of people think this tape looks like there's some weird cuts. I, I don't notice it. Maybe I'm just not looking hard enough. I did watch it several times. But um, like, like, but they, there's speculation that uh, the tape was edited to make it look like she was alone. But maybe there was somebody else there with her. And also maybe that somebody uh, worked at the hotel, and, and that explains how she got up on the roof. Because there is... There's four ways to access that roof. One of the ways is you can just go through a door. There's a door, but the door sets off an alarm unless you have, uh, you know, work at the hotel and can deactivate the alarm. And, and the alarm never went off. And then the three other ways are, are these uh, fire escape stairways that lead to a climbing, uh, this little metal ladder that you have to climb to get up there. Now, she could have climbed what, one of these fire escape stairways alone, but even if she did, the tank was in a difficult spot to reach and there was no ladder at the scene meaning that this little five-and-a-half, uh, you know, five-foot, five-inch woman, 120 pounds, would have had to kind of do a, a gruelingly hauled herself up to the tank, then undress, lift up a, he- a heavy latch, and then plunge herself in along with her stuff. Like, it wouldn't be easy. But it could be done, but it wouldn't be easy. Uh, and again, there seems to be this time jump in the video that a lot of people talk to uh, about this. You know, and if, and, if, and if the video was altered, you know, who altered it? Why? Why did they do it? I don't think, I don't think it was. And, and, and if it was, I think it was... Uh, a harmless editing, because I, I think the LAPD, if it was edited in some nefarious way, obviously they would have realized that, um, and I think uh, the investigation quickly would have turned from a missing persons investigation into a murder investigation. All right, so was okay. So if it wasn't like a hotel employee, was she killed by some some man or maybe men that she had just met in LA, possibly uh, romantically? Supposedly, there's another piece of hotel video surveillance footage from the lobby that was not released to the public earlier that day that shows Lamb entering the building with two men uh, under you know, what the web describes as mysterious circumstances. One police detective on the case described the footage thus, quote, we did see her come in with two gentlemen. She had, they had a box, gave it to her. She went up to the elevator. We never saw them again on video. All right, well, why wasn't that video released? I guess to protect the identity of people who never ended up being suspects, maybe? You know, what was in the box? What were they giving her? Why are two men giving her a box in a hotel lobby? So now this led to the idea that perhaps these men had something to do with, you know, Lamb's demise. But again, there's no hard evidence to that effect, and the footage remains merely kind of just an odd curiosity. You know, and if, and if, and if, you know, and if it really was that suspicious, why weren't they charged? Why wasn't her death ruled a homicide? Now, uh, another group of uh, people uh, that the, some people on the web think may have killed Alyssa Lamb uh, is the Illuminati. Of course, of course, they're blamed. Um, but most of these rumors about the Illuminati point to some tweet of hers about an invisibility cloak being developed by Canada as reported by the Canadian edition of the Huffington Post, their business edition. And I read the article. I followed her tweet. Uh, the article states that the United States military is reportedly backing a Canadian company's development of material that can render soldiers invisible. Uh, Maple-based, British Columbia-based, uh, um, or Maple Ridge, excuse me, British Columbia-based, Hyperstealth Biotechnology, it's a fucking cool-sounding company, has developed, quote, Quantum Stealth, a type of camouflage that bends light around the wearer or an object to create the illusion of invisibility. And some conspiracy theorists think she knew something about this cloak. 
and then the Illuminati had her killed. That is the dumbest shit ever. All right, she didn't fucking know anything other than what I just read. She tweeted a link to an article that was not a secret. It was an article written in a widely distributed, publicized magazine that everyone has access to. That's not fucking knowing too much. That's knowing just enough. That's knowing what someone has chosen to let you know in the public domain. You know, maybe she just thought, I don't know, their invisibility cloak is super fucking cool, like any other rational person would think. Ah, I wonder if they made that, actually. That was a couple years ago. I wonder if there's fucking invisibility. Illuminati. Now, they're, now the Illuminati got their invisibility cloaks. You know, that's what's happened now. Now the fucking lizards don't have to shape, <laughs> they don't have to shapeshift anymore. They can just put on their Canadian cloaks. Okay. Uh, continuing with the murders, there's also speculation that a serial killer got her. Because a year after Elisa disappeared, in February 2014, an aspiring young Mexican actress, psychology graduate Carmen Yaira Noriega Esparza, 27, disappears in Mexico City. A year later, her badly decomposed remains are discovered in a rooftop water tank in the neighborhood she lived in after residents complained of bad-tasting water. All right, same kind of shit as with Elisa. No one has been arrested in connection with her death, but the preliminary cause of death is that she was choked. So, you know, did whoever choked Carmen and put her in a water tank also kill Elisa? You know, are there other bodies floating out there in water tanks right now waiting to be discovered? Because, you know, and, and, also, and also, even though Elisa's death was ruled an accidental drowning, at least one coroner disagrees, or at least he leaves the door open to murder. Dr. John Hisserot, uh, a former deputy coroner, coroner in Pittsburgh who has conducted thousands of autopsies, reviewed Lamb's autopsy and said this case was unusual. Based on the autopsy report alone, Hisserat said it was possible Lamb could have been suffocated by someone who then threw her body into the tank. That's why I say the better manner of death in this case is undetermined, is a quote from him. So, you know, it could be, you know, suffocation very close to strangulation, both in water tanks about a year apart. You know, Mexico City, not really all that far from L.A., Huh? I don't know. So maybe serial killer. Uh, supernatural forces is another possibility discussed at length, especially on the web. Again, of course, of course it's discussed at length on the web. The web fucking loves, as I'm finding out with this podcast, uh, conspiracy theories and paranormal activity. Fucking loves it. Uh, and, they, and a lot of people think Elisa was either uh, possessed by, by some evil supernatural force living in the, in the hotel or trying to escape. I'm sure American Horror Story, that show getting going, didn't help this... Uh, Kind of line of thought. Uh, now, and, and you know, and there is that. There's the Cecil Hotel has that dark, ominous history. You know, with so much death and pain. You know, and it happened. All that happened in one, you know, building. Is there something in the building itself now that is, that is causing all of this? I guess that chicken and the egg thing did a lot of bad shit. Just happen in the. I guess it's not the chicken and the egg. Never mind. Is it just? A, I guess it's. Is it just a coincidence that a lot of bad shit happened in the Cecil, or is the Cecil somehow causing this bad shit to happen? You know, and, and people kind of who go along with this line of thought, uh, a lot of them claim to see a mysterious gray shadowy presence in the elevator uh, with Elisa. I, I don't see it. I watched it several times. I don't see anything. Uh, maybe my eyes are going. Maybe maybe I'm a member of the Illuminati and just don't even fucking know it, and I just automatically, you know, try to squash the truth. Uh, maybe I'm not seeing it, you know, because uh, I don't I don't want to. I just uh, maybe I don't, I don't believe enough. I don't know. I, I always used to hear the argument about ghosts. Well, you know, only people who believe in them can see them. Well, then that's not fucking true. That's nonsense. If the, why would they be that fragile? All right. Uh, another, okay, n- another theory. Here, here's the other big, so there's the, the, the murders I've discussed. There's the supernatural forces possibility. And then the third uh, major kind of uh, area 
of, I would say, oh, people who, uh, assumptions about why she died or whatever, the, the third most most common cause of death uh, attributed to her death is, is mental illness, actually. And I think it's a more plausible theory uh, that she had some kind of psychotic break and put herself in that water tank. You know, it would be difficult, certainly unusual, but far from impossible for her to get in that tank alone. And what I haven't mentioned yet is that Elisa did suffer from mental illness. She was bipolar. She had a long history of suffering from the, uh, the bipolar disorder, uh, it suffered psychotic breaks in the past. And remember, this is a girl posting about not being able to get out of bed for two days because she hated herself so much. Maybe adventurous was the wrong word to describe why she removed herself from college, decided to travel alone and stay at those seedy hotels. Maybe she did it because she was mentally ill. You know, and again, the history of bipolar disorder is uh, mentioned with her. It's mentioned in the autopsy report. The opinion of the report reads as follows, quote, the decedent, uh, which is a fancy autopsy word I just learned, used to refer to a person who just died. I don't know why I say just. He could have been died a long time ago. Uh, died as a result of accidental drowning. A complete autopsy examination showed no evidence of trauma, and toxicology studies did not show acute drug or alcohol intoxication. Decedent had a history of bipolar disorder for which he was prescribed medication. Toxicology studies were performed for the presence of these drugs. However, quantitation in the blood was not performed due to the limited sample availability. Therefore, interpretation is limited. A police investigation did not show evidence of foul play. I think I wrote so, but it's show. Did not show evidence of foul play. A full review of the circumstances of the case and appropriate consultation do not support intent to harm oneself. The manner of death is classified an accident. All right, so did you catch that part uh, of not being able to tell if her prescription drugs were in her system? Basically, uh, due to decomposition, I'm guessing, and how long her body was submerged in water, they don't know, they weren't able to run the proper tests to find out if she was taking the proper meds. And if she wasn't taking them, you know, uh, she was alone after all. She was unsupervised, making the strange choice to, to go to the Cecil in the first fucking place. She could have entered a manic state. A manic state causes people to do crazy shit. Uh, according to a first-hand account of someone obsessed with the case on Reddit who also claims to take medication for a bipolar disorder himself, quote, the first primary observable suggestion that Elisa was suffering from a manic episode is the psychomotor agitation she displays in the video, especially with her hands. Psychomotor agitation is defined as, quote, a series of unintentional and purposeless motions that stem from mental tension and anxiety of an individual. This includes pacing around a room, wringing one hands, uncontrolled tongue movement, and other similar actions. Psychomotor agitation is a symptom of a manic state. Now, I've seen a lot of people making similar moves to what Elisa made in that elevator when I lived in L.A. Saw a lot of manic episodes. There was a Starbucks uh, near my apartment the last couple of years I lived there. That It felt like it was built on some kind of fucking crazy magnet. I have never seen so many severely mentally ill people uh, congregate in a, in a private business uh, in my entire life, uh, before or since. I mean, it was unbelievable. It's unbelievable. I, I remember uh, I, every, every time I ever went there, something, something insane happened, like something literally insane. Like uh, <clears throat> one, one of the times I thought was really funny that stood out as I'm sitting there having coffee, and this guy just comes in wearing like, uh, he's all like, all like he was going to war or something, these crazy military fatigues, but I, I got the feeling he, he was never actually in the military. Maybe someone in his delusion, he was a, some kind of military hero, and he came in just fucking screaming at everybody, making a crazy ruckus. Uh, the whole place is very anxious. He's screaming a lot of violent stuff. <laughs> and then he walks over, and I love how um, I've always noticed this about some people like, who are really insane, seemingly insane in public. 
that they'll be like crazy, 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 and then suddenly just like pull their shit together and act totally normal for like 10 seconds to do something and then go back to crazy, crazy. He comes in, uh, comes in real hot, comes in real hot, yelling all the stuff, and then calms down as he gets near the uh, beverage counter, looks over the drinks, takes the one he wants, just grabs some dude's coffee, and then goes back to screaming and then just walks out with the free coffee. So I saw that there. One time I went there and I was, because uh, it was the closest Starbucks to me, and I was, every time I'd go there, I would just think, I, I should never fucking go back there. Why, do, why did I come again? And then a few weeks later, I'm like, well, it's close, and I, I would go again and just uh, hope against uh, all experience that there would not be somebody completely out of their mind there this time. And I remember one time I was like, fuck it. I got to get two hours of stuff done. I don't, I don't want to go to another coffee shop. I'm just going to get it done here. And a dude sat so close to me at, at the stool. Like, like he was – his face could not have been more than one foot from my face. And that's that, that's like, like a ruler length away from my face. Very close. I'm looking straight ahead at my computer. He's looking – trying to like – he's like looking into the center of my brain. He's trying to see what's going on inside my brain. And 45 minutes, he does not stop staring at me. And I just chose to use it as like a weird mental test. I'm like, I wonder if I can just for fucking, how long can I fucking just stare at my screen with a, with a strange human boring into my brain a foot away? And it turns out I can do it for at least 45 minutes. Um, yeah. And then there was this one guy, though, that, that, that made me, why I got on this whole tangent, that made me think of the Elisa and the elevator thing. There was this dude, uh, like this balding kind of older white dude with like, he always had like dirt on his face. I mean, he looked, he looked like somebody who just, uh, again, uh, just obviously mentally ill. And he was always pacing around the street around that Starbucks, and he was always doing shit with his hands, and he was, and he was always caught in these loops. He was repeating motions and stuff. And he was very fucking manic. He was, he was really going. He had, a, he had a lot of shit to do. He looked at he, like he had a lot of appointments to get to, um, a, lot of, a lot of business to take care of. And, and he was doing all that. And I, I think it, this, uh, I bring this whole thing up because with Elisa, I, th- I think if, if Elisa would have looked like that dude, if, this, if everything with her disappearance remains the same except for who the victim is, if, just by appearance, by physical appearance, if if the person was like wearing raggedy clothes and normally wore raggedy clothes, and you know had dirt on their face and and just looked mentally ill, um, no one would ever suspect murder or supernatural forces because there is no evidence of that. You know, the police found no evidence. There's there's no circumstantial evidence of any kind of murder. Um, I I, I think people suspect those things with Elisa Land because she didn't look like that dude. She was pretty. She was well-dressed. She was witty. Uh, she looked like she had her shit together, except on a chemical level, she had a very similar brain to that guy, one capable of turning uh, her into a version of that guy if she stopped taking her meds. And this mental illness angle led me to my opinion of what I think happened. So here's what I think happened to Elisa Lamb. According to WebMD, the symptoms of a manic episode can include, among other things, grandiose beliefs and poor judgment. I think those two symptoms combined to contribute strongly to her death. Uh, I think they both relate to two movies I strongly suspect she was very familiar with. The first film is a 2002 horror movie called Dark Water. Now, this is a, it's a Japanese horror movie. The main character, Yoshimi, uh, is living in a horrible rundown apartment, and there's something wrong with the water in her building. There's this leak in the ceiling. It's getting worse by day. Uh, there's this apparition of a young girl that keeps showing up, a ghost that likes to play this kind of hide-and-seek game, kind of like how Lisa played it in the elevator. 
you know, popping out from around corners, popping back in, weird motions. Uh, the spear of this young girl eventually leads Yoshimi to the building's roof. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then to the building's water tank. Uh, she realizes the young spirit was a girl named uh, Mitsuku who had gone up to the tank and then accidentally fallen into the water. And she's been haunting the building ever since. And then this spirit tries to kill Yoshimi. And, uh, and, and why, other than the tank and the CD accommodation, so I think that A, Elisa saw this movie, and B, it had something to do with her death, well, it's because of the sequence of buttons she pushes in the elevator. She lights up all the buttons to the left in a very kind of specific way. Well, there are numerous scenes in 2002's Dark Water involving Yoshimi uh, having problems with an elevator, and in one of these scenes, she lights up multiple lights all on the left. You know, it's a very similar button configuration in the Dark Water elevator than into the Cecil's elevator. But that's not the only coincidence. There's a second movie, and the second movie uh, is the 2002, uh, sorry, the 2005 Dark Water remake. Now, in the 2005 American remake of Dark Water, uh, starring Jennifer Connelly in the role of the Yoshimi character, the character's name is Dahlia. How many women are named Dahlia? How many grown women in 2005? According to BabyCenter.com, about 10 per million. And even that sounds fucking high to me. I've met a lot of people touring around doing stand-up for years. I have yet to meet a single Dahlia. Dahlia, to me, is clearly a reference to Black Dahlia. And I say that because Dahlia's daughter, Jennifer Connelly's daughter in the movie, is named Cece. Cece. Cece is in Cecil, right? The Cecil Hotel, rumored to be the last place the Black Dahlia unsolved murder victim was last seen alive. Now, I'm not the first person or hundredth person to make this connection between Dark Water and the death of Elisa Lamb. This is out there already. This is, a, this is a fairly common conspiracy. I found this connection online in multiple blogs and videos, or I say I don't know, conspiracy coincidence. Uh, however, in the blogs and videos I find, they either talk about what a weird coincidence it is, or that it's part of some satanic or Illuminati conspiracy, or that the movie somehow foreshadowed or predicted supernaturally uh, Elisa Lamb's death, you know, caused, ca- caused her to die in a way. I don't think that's it. I don't think that's it. I think... We have a young woman on some sort of a spiritual quest, a young woman prone to depression, a person really into film and TV, as most youth are. I would bet my life that she has seen both of those Dark Water movies. She stopped taking her medic- medication. I'm guessing. I have no you know, total proof of that. But I, I'm thinking she stopped taking her medication. She's entered into a manic state. You know, Outside the hotel, Katie Orphan, manager of a nearby bookstore, was the only person who recalled seeing Lamb earlier that day, the day that she disappeared, and said, quote, she was outgoing, very lively, very friendly. She, she went in and bought some gifts to take home to her family, Orphan told CNN. Very lively and very friendly. She's fucking manic. And she's staying in a hotel. She sought out specifically because of those movies. And then she starts feeling haunted by the hotel, just like the movie. She's working herself up. All right? she's, and she is acting weird before the elevator. Originally, she was staying in a, in a hostel-type room with a few other guests. But then she was moved by the hotel to her own room when her roommates complained of certain odd behavior. Uh, how odd did this girl have to misbehave for roommates to complain uh, about her behavior at a fucking dive as dumpy as the Cecil? I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking maybe she thought she was seeing things. Maybe she thought she was seeing the ghost of a little girl trapped in a hotel water tower, just like the two fucking movies, the two fucking movies she saw and then came to the Cecil because of. I'm very convinced of that in my mind. Maybe her mental illness is manifesting delusions of grandeur in the form of uncovering some porn paranormal entity. You know, uh, or maybe she just really is, feels like she's trapped in a horror movie. You know, her mind almost forgets that it was just a movie, you know, because she is mentally ill. She's on an adventure. You know, what's more adventurous than finding a ghost? And if she's truly having some type of psychotic break, how real would this ghost have been to her, you know? 
real enough to climb inside the water tank to look for it, real enough to keep treading water until it appeared? I don't think she tried to kill herself. Nothing I can find about her reads of a potential suicide. If she wanted to kill herself, there would have been a lot easier ways to do it. You know, the Cecil and the Cecil had a history of suicide. If she came to the Cecil because of its history of suicide, it was called suicide. You know, uh, it didn't involve, it wouldn't involve a complicated drowning. It would involve throwing yourself out of a fucking window and hoping to hit a pedestrian below. Now, the elevator ritual, combined with ending up in the water tower, combined with Dark Water's clear allusions to the Cecil Hotel, I think Elisa knew what she was doing. On, well, you know what I mean. As far as knew what she was doing, as far as following this kind of movie patterns. I don't think she totally knew what she was doing, because I think she was literally out of her fucking mind uh, at the time of this uh, death. Now, but, but why did she strip down once she got inside the water tank? That, I don't fucking know. That has nothing to do with the movie. Uh, would have been great if in 2005 Jennifer Connelly got naked for Dark Water. Uh, I was like Jennifer Connelly's physical, physical prime, and I think she's one of the most uh, attractive actresses of all time. But I think it was pure mental illness uh, that had Elisa make the nude, uh, nudity decision. I don't know. So personally, here's what I think about all of this. I think losing your mind to a degree you think you're seeing ghosts is scarier than actually seeing ghosts, if that's what actually happened. I would be terrified to see a ghost. And I've always thought this since I was a little kid. Not because... I would think the ghosts were real. I still wouldn't think they're real. But even if I, if I saw one, if I saw one clear as day, I wouldn't think it was real. Unless, unless I saw it with somebody else. That would be scary. But I'm talking about by yourself. You know, I wouldn't want to see a ghost by myself because I would be convinced that I'd just gone fucking insane. And I no, no longer had control of my reality anymore. I'd be scared that, you know, other horrible visions are going to follow me for the rest of my life. Like, how scary is that to not be able to trust your own thoughts? That's terrifying to me. Like, I am much more scared of my mind deteriorating than I am of a paranormal entity. You know, you, you can move away from a haunting. You can exercise a, a demon or a spirit. But, but sometimes when a mind slips, it never stops slipping. So maybe the real Elisa, not the version of herself that people love, that she referenced on her blog, that she made a point to highlight, maybe the real Elisa was struggling with some serious dark thoughts, struggling with some, some thoughts she didn't understand, struggling with maintaining a grip on actual reality that no one around her realized. Maybe her death is, is an example of how severe mental illness can strike anyone. It's not just for some middle-aged dude zipping up and down the fucking sidewalk on Santa Monica Boulevard, looking like he's going to the craziest meeting of all time, face covered in dirt, looking like an extra, and the hills have eyes. Cartoonishly insane, it can be the cute little Asian girl, the little college student with the perfect fashion and the clever posts. And we should take it seriously when we see signs of mental illness in anyone because it, tr- it can truly strike anyone. This, uh, this episode was kind of a, a reminder of that for me. Or maybe I'm reading all the shit into this situation and some dude she met on Tinder uh, had a late night booty call, you know, slash fucking water tower skinny dip session with her. She accidentally drowns. He freaks out and he takes the fuck off. Maybe fucking in a water tower was on her bucket list. I don't know. I don't know her. None of us do. Maybe that's, maybe that's the real version of herself. She was hiding all those years. You know, I wasn't there, but that's my take on it. You've heard it. I've, I've added now to the Elisa Lamb murder mystery. And now uh, these are my top five takeaways. Time suck. Top five takeaways. Number one, if you're a small woman and want to travel around the country or world alone, stay in nice fucking hotels with security guards instead of live-in sex offenders Or stay home. Creeps don't care about your pro-feminist independent views. Creeps just want to be creeps. So be smart. Number two, I don't think Richard Ramirez, a.k.a. the Night Stalker, understood modern Satanism. I think he just wanted to impress the Christian devil, uh, impress uh, his his version of Satan, and if hell is uh, somehow real, I have no doubt he's complaining about the heat uh, to his old buddy Lucifer right now. 
Number three, I still don't believe in ghosts, but when the Cecil reopens uh, as stay on Main, I'm going to stay the fuck out, right? Because that place puts the creep in creepy. Number four, as it turns out, mental illness can strike anyone, not just unattractive people who naturally look a little crazy anyway, which, which makes life feel a little more fair, actually. You know, it just, it just wouldn't be right to only have ugly people also be mentally unstable. They, they already have it hard enough. Studies prove uh, people are kinder to someone with a pretty, pretty face. Number five, if you're going to throw yourself out of a window, at least have the decency to look below and make sure you're not going to fucking land on anyone and curse their family with a legacy of awkward conversations. How did your dad uh, die again? Uh, he, he was murdered by a suicide. He, he killed himself? No, someone killed herself that killed him. What? Never mind. Time suck. Top five takeaways. Well, there it is. There it is, the Elisa Lamb murder mystery in the books. Still not sure I'm going to let Kyra listen to it, uh, but I feel like my son picked a good time suck. Now I guess I'll have to see what my daughter chooses. Uh, I'm sure it'll be interesting. I'm sure Momo will, uh, will pick something interesting. The topics you guys send in are so good, uh, any, anything she picks will be great. Next week's topic uh, is already picked out, but I'm not going to tell you what it is. Now what I'm going to tell you is there's going to be a special episode... I don't have, I don't, I'm not going to have guests on my podcast very often. I prefer to fly solo for this podcast, but going to make an exception. Next Monday, the hosts of a podcast I like called Crime and Sports are going to be along for the time suck journey, and I picked a topic I know they're, they're going to enjoy, that they're going to just fucking kill. I also uh, am going to be doing some stand-up shows in, in Tempe at the Improv this Thursday and Friday with those co-hosts uh, of Crime and Sports, Jimmy Wisman and James Pitragallo. Uh, and I got Cleveland coming up next weekend. Easter weekend will be Hilarities, San Fran coming up, uh, along with Atlanta this summer, Omaha, uh, uh, many, many more cities. Go to timesuckpodcast.com, click on Stand Up Tour and more. Also go to timesuckpodcast.com to see pics and links corresponding to today's show. If you heard me hesitate earlier, it's because I was just debating whether or not to sing Omaha, somewhere in middle America, getting right to the heart of matters. It's the heart that matters more. Counting Crows, guys. A lot of people don't like them, but you know what? Fuck it. I, I do like them. I like Counting Crows. Uh, at the risk of losing half my podcast audience, uh, I, like, I like John Mayer sometimes. I do. I like his guitar licks, and I think he has a soothing voice. All right? I said it. I said it. I lost your respect. But it's the truth. And uh, anyway, uh, go to timesuckpodcast.com for everything I just said. And while you're there, uh, donate to the show if you feel so inclined. You can click on that little Amazon button if you want to help the show while you shop. And you can, you can click the, you know, the shop button to get that first edition Time Suck t-shirt made out of 400% wild possum scrotum. Have a great week. Keep on sucking. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. In a fast-paced world... Every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. 
so you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.